Oh, hey there. It's the guy who accidentally took your coffee off the pickup shelf, who couldn't resist to make a dad joke. See what happens when I don't have my coffee? Anyway, we're back with a brand new episode, and oh my gosh, is this a fun one. This may be one of my favorite topics to talk about when it comes to history. Well, anything New World history is really exciting to me, so I don't think I could be the judge of that. Anyway, it's really late at night, and I just enjoyed some very, very good noodles. I guess that's just how the brain juices get flowing, but real quick, I would like to thank everyone who has given this podcast a listen, as well as the people who are kind enough to help support this podcast out on Patreon. It's only a dollar a month, which is about 25 cents an episode, and it really does feel the podcast as well as give you the opportunity to ask questions and even pitch topic ideas for episodes that you would like to hear in the future. But New World Exploration. What is it? Who came up with it? Why are we sending people to sea? Who were the many explorers? Ferdinand, Isabella, Spain? Interestingly named ships, and much more with my favorite topic, exploration to the new world. All right, exploration to the new world. Why are we sending people to a whole new chunk of land that we know nothing about? And I think a good place to start is to figure out the global perspective. Who's in charge? Who are, where are the explorers coming from? Like what country are they coming from? Who are they going to? Where are they getting the funding? And kind of just a look at the global market as far as what people want. So let's go ahead and start our narrative with what people want. So Europeans want goods from Asia. And most of these goods are silk. So just for frame of reference, we are around the 1400s right now. Uh, 1400 CE. And the Europeans want many goods from Asia. But there are problems with traveling. There's bad weather, natural obstacles, religious differences, and checkpoints. So this is taxes for traveling through another country. You had to sort of pass these certain checkpoints, get taxed before you can take your goods across their borders. So this is kind of the global motive. So this is what people are wanting. We're wanting to find a way to get our silk that is produced in Asia to the European countries with with avoiding as much taxes as we can. So how are we going to do that? We're going to figure out our own way. And fast forward a little bit to 1453. The Turks capture Constantinople. And in 1469, Ferdinand and Isabella get married. Now, you're probably thinking, who is Ferdinand? Who is Isabella? Queen Isabella I of Castile and King Ferdinand II of Aragon got married in 1469, like I said. It was the union of these two monarchs that created modern-day Spain. So back then, Spain was split into two different pieces. There was Castile and there was Aragon, and Portugal was kind of situated where it is now. And it was the union of these two monarchs that made modern-day Spain. The reason that this is important is because Spain was a major factor in the voyages to the New World. They're the ones that funded it, and that's kind of how Spain became became Spain. Now, uh, there is a lot of misconceptions of who was in the New World first, but we're here to set the record straight, and we're going to debunk some common myths. So the Spanish were the first to get to the New World. There was Menendez who was who set up the first city in St. Augustine in northern uh, northwest Florida. Um, and then after that, we had the Dutch in the New World. And then, of course, we had the Pilgrims. Now, many, um, many Europeans like to start 
the story of the voyage to the New World with the pilgrims, and that's because they were one of the the civilizations that really made it popular. Now, that could be a whole other episode topic, and uh, please let me know in the uh, in the comments, or please leave a review to um, let me know if you would like to hear that, because I could go all day about that. But anyway, back to our narrative. And now we get to talk about my favorite part, which is the actual explorers themselves. This brings us to Bartholomew Diaz. He was a Portuguese sea captain who rounded the southern tip of Africa. It took 60 months, and he proved it was po- possible to reach Asia by sailing south and then east. Now, there was this thing called the Burn Zone, and it was the northern part of Africa that was the furthest habitable point that people believed that that they could go, just because it was so hot, so arid, so dry, right? And Diaz proved this incorrect. He sailed around the tip of Africa and was like, hey guys, it's actually rainforest and it's not desert and there are people inhabiting here. Now that of course became problematic later, but he really was the first, uh, the first person to set sail and to really take, take on the seas and see if he could find a way to reach Asia that would limit some of the taxes and limit some of the checkpoints by transporting the silk from Asia through land to get back to Europe. Now this brings us to our good friend Christopher Columbus. He he questioned the validity of the burn zone. Now of course Bartholomew Diaz did prove that wrong, but he started to have all these questions and he started to wonder what else was out there and if there was another way to get to Asia. Now it is common for people to think that Christopher Columbus believed the earth was flat, but he did in fact believe the earth was round. But what he did question was the size. He didn't understand how big it was, but he knew it was round. Christopher Columbus was born in Genoa, Italy, and his venture was initially rejected by Spain and Portugal, as well as France and England. He started asking basically the entirety of Europe for funding because he knew that there was a way. So eventually, Ferdinand and Isabella did sponsor his journey. He set sail in 1492 and went southwest. Spain gave Columbus three ships and 87 men, and Columbus wanted to form trade relations with China. So Ferdinand and Isabella offered him 10% of the trade profits and king of whatever he conquered. Which was probably not a good idea on their part since he basically terrorized anything and everything that was in his path, uh, including people, but it happened, so. But when did Christopher Columbus actually get there? And it was on October 12th of 1492, uh, he landed in San Salvador. And what is really funny about this is he thought he was in mainland China. Uh, but he eventually got to Cuba and he thought he was in mainland China again. And then he sees Hispanola and thinks that's Japan. Um, and he decides he was going to, uh, lighten his load a little bit. So he left 39 men in Hispanola, um, where they later died because they got attacked. And just one of the terrible things he did is in the spring of 1493, he went back to Spain with tons of gold and six natives to show Ferdinand and Isabella what he saw and what he brought back. He, he sort of brought them back as, as proof that he made it to mainland China. And it's also important to note that the Spanish conquistadors are after what um, will be called the three Gs. This was gold, glory, and God. So these were their motivations to, to travel to the new world and sort of uh, set their sights on something, which again, kind of problematic. Christopher Columbus sailed a total of four times. Again, his first one was in San Salvador in 1492. Then he landed in Hispanola, which was 1493. 
In his third voyage, he landed in South American mainland, uh, so kind of around the Hispaniola era or area, but uh, that was done in 1498. And then finally, his fourth and final uh, voyage um, was to Panama in 1502. He died in 1506, uh, still believing he was in Asia. So that's that's kind of funny. Now, I'm just going to breeze through the next couple explorers. Not that they aren't important, but um, we have Juan Ponce de Leon to get to, and there's a lot that happened with him. So the first one was Giovanni Caboto, uh, and in 1497, he landed in Canada, and he called it Newfoundland. Now, modern-day Newfoundland is exactly where he landed, so that's pretty interesting. Then there's Amerigo Vespucci, and in 1499, he landed in the northern part of South America. And finally, there's Waldus Müller. Now, he was a map maker, and he was the first one to make a map with America in it. Um, and he named named it America after Amerigo Vespucci, who landed in the northern part of South America. So uh, in the show notes, I'll go ahead and link the map that he made. It's really interesting, and if you are ever um, in the area of the National Archives in Washington, D.C., it is on display there, so if you want to go check it out, it's really cool. It's on my bucket list to go look at, so I'll let you know when I go see it. And now on to Juan Ponce de Leon. So he was born in 1460 and died in 1521. So Juan Ponce de Leon uh, joined Columbus on his second voyage, actually. And remember, his second voyage was to Hispaniola in 1493. Um, he also was a part of the Treaty of Tordesillas in 1494. Now, this was a treaty between Spain and Portugal, and it sort of split the Americas in half. So Portugal Portugal got the east side of the of the um, the split line, and Spain got the west of that line. Now, the effects of this line are still evident today um, in South America, and that's because all Latin American nations are Spanish-speaking except for Brazil, which is Portuguese, and that's on the eastern side of that line. So if you're ever playing trivia, you can impress your friends with that interesting tidbit. Ponce de Leon arrived in Florida in 1513. Uh, he rounded the tip of Florida near the Everglades, and then he discovered the Calusa people, and they reside in southwest uh like on the southwest Florida coast. He realizes that the Calusa aren't as peaceful as they seem to be. Uh, he said he was going to come back and establish a strong connection. Now, when he came back, he did get into a fight with the Calusa people. He was hit in the thigh by a poisoned arrow, and he went to Cuba to get treated, and that's where he died. So what's up with these poisoned arrows? Now, historians and many anthropologists believe that the arrows were poisoned with feces or tree sap. So that was uh, quite the um, the stinky situation that Ponce de Leon got himself into. And now onto Hernan Cortez. So Hernan Cortez was born in 1485, and he died in 1547. He initially led 500 Spanish and numerous allies uh, against the Aztecs um, in so in the Mesoamerican area area. Uh, he fights the some of the Maya settlements as well, um, and he eventually makes his way across Mexico and notices there are little pockets of natives that don't like the Aztecs. Now, at this time, the Aztec capital is uh, Tenochtitlan, and he gets gifts from them, but says that he wants to take over instead. He brings smallpox to the Americas, and by 1521, the city is destroyed. He renames Tenochtitlan to Mexico City, and that's currently where Mexico City is today. And now on to our final explorer, who is Hernando de Soto. 
DeSoto was born in 1500 and he died in 1542. He focused on Florida, Georgia, and the Mississippi, and on his voyages, he brought 600 men with him. He was experienced in fighting with the Inca already, so by the time he landed in Florida, um, he had some fighting experience. And in 1539, he landed near Tampa, Florida, which is where I go to school. So that's kind of interesting. And I think about that like all the time. And for the next four years, he explored the Tampa Bay area and all around Florida, all the way up to the Mississippi. And he died of disease in 1542. And now that we kind of know how we arrived here in the New World, let's talk about some of the cultural aspects of it. And a good place to start is with the Columbian Exchange. Now, the Columbian Exchange was uh, the name that um, that was coined for basically the exchange of goods between um, the Spanish and the Europeans when um, when we were moving into the New World. So on the Spanish side, they brought pigs, horses, and sheep to the New World. And the European side, um, they brought new foods. And both of uh, both the Spanish and the Europeans uh, brought disease to the New World. And that's kind of what, um, what was detrimental to the culture and to the people that were already here. Now, the Spanish also had a system of social ranking that was based on race and race mixing between uh, the Spanish, the Native Americans, and the Africans. Now, they called this the casta, which uh, directly translates to basically a caste system. Now, what was really terrible about this is that they thought of it as contamination if you had a different race. Um, Martin Cortez was the first uh, mestizo, which is Native American and Spanish mix. Now, the Spanish caste system uh, went as follows. 100% Spanish, you were from Spain. You were Creos, if you were Spanish and Spanish New World. You were Mestizo, if you were Native American and Spanish. And finally, you were Mulatto, if you were African and Spanish. So this caste system uh, or um, social ranking really had detrimental effects in the New World. Um, and that is sort of still evident today. Um, it, it just kind of kickstart, kickstarted the discrimination that, um, that came with all of these people in sort of a melting pot in a new, um, a new environment. Now, I think here is a good place to stop because I could go on and on and on about the little intricate details of, uh, the Spanish in the new world. Um, but I just want to keep it, uh, keep it basic and keep it uh, mainstream for you guys. That's kind of what shovel school is about. Um, it's sort of a classroom, uh, sort of a book to your ears podcast, uh, where I can give you basically just a, a nice overview of, um, of history of basically anthropology in general. Now, if you haven't already checked out the uh, What is Anthropology episode, I highly recommend. It's a good introduction to some of the future episodes that we have planned, uh, just to give you an idea of the four different subfields and basically what I do, so that uh, it's just a little bit easier for you to understand some of the some of the episodes that are coming up. Uh, but other than that, I want to thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Um, stay tuned for the next one. Uh, it's I have some interesting ones planned, so I think you'll enjoy them. Uh, and as always, please leave a review. I love to read them. And I, once again, I'm going to start reading, uh, some reviews at the beginning, just to prove I read, read them as well as, uh, give you guys a shout out because the support is what really keeps this podcast going. And once again, if you head over to Patreon and that's patreon.com backslash shovel school, uh, it's only a dollar a month, which like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, it is only 25 cents an episode. 
Um, so once again, it gives you a chance to uh, rate and review as well as uh, voice your opinion and give me feedback on the podcast. And you can even uh, pitch some show ideas if there's a topic that interests you that you want to hear about. So uh, once again, over to Patreon, um, just so I can connect with you and you can connect with me. Other than that, I can't wait to see you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much. Bye.